As I mentioned earlier, uh, we have uh, Christopher Ash uh, with us this evening, uh, which, is, which is a wonderful blessing. He's been with us uh, several times before preaching, and he's going to be bringing God's word to us from Acts uh, chapter 20. Uh, and so we'll have now our second reading from Acts 20, verses 17 to 38. From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. When they arrived, he said to them, You know how I lived the whole time while I was with you. From the first day I came into the province of Asia, I served the Lord with great humility and with tears, and in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Now, I know that none of you among whom I've gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you today that I'm innocent of the blood of any of you. For I've not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God, Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples from after them. So be on your guard Remember that for three years I never stopped warning each of you, night and day, with tears. Now, I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I've not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, remembering the words the Lord Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. When Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again. Then they accompanied him to the ship. Well, friends, it's very, very good to be here amongst our Eden friends uh, again. Thank you for your welcome. Thank you, Simon, for your um, welcome as well. I'd be glad if you would turn back to the passage that Simon read from Acts chapter 20, page 1117 in the church Bibles. 
and uh, I'm going to be preaching from a part of that. Uh, Before I do that, let's uh, bow our heads and pray for God's help as we hear his word. God, our Father, we ask that uh, we might have open ears, receptive minds, and soft hearts as we listen to your wonderful word in the scriptures. Uh, We pray that we might not be hard-hearted or deaf or unresponsive, but that we might respond in repentance and faith as you call us to do. And we ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, as um, Simon said, and as you all know, you have a new uh, minister, a new pastor coming any day now. You have, uh, I think, eight elders, at least according to the website you do. You may not be aware of that. And I want to begin just by asking a question which probably doesn't get your blood pumping. But it's the question, what do you think about Christian leaders, church leaders. Maybe you're you're here and you're not as yet a Christian and you'll have looked on from the outside and you'll have seen perhaps some examples that seem to you really good and some examples that seem to you really bad. You may wonder what to expect if you begin to follow Jesus. If you are a, a Christian, as I guess most of us probably are, you'll have some experience of being led and it may be wonderful may be all good and healthy, it may be disappointing, or it may be for some terribly dark as you've come face to face with wicked leaders and you've perhaps suffered at their hands. The Old Testament reading from the prophet Ezekiel is God's rebuke to some very evil leaders of the Old Covenant, the Old Testament Church of God, and sadly they were not the last. But our New Testament passage in Acts chapter 20 spreads before us a beautiful example and healthy instruction to show us what good church leadership can be like and ought to be like. So the Apostle Paul in his travels, he spent two to three years in the city of Ephesus, uh, modern day Turkey, and Acts chapter 19, the previous chapter, tells us some of the highlights of those, that time that he spent there. But now here in Acts 20, Paul is on his way to Jerusalem and he asks the elders of the church in Ephesus to make a journey, perhaps about 30 miles or so, to see him for the last time as he travels. And you see this uh, verse 16 at the end of just before our passage. Paul is in a hurry to reach Jerusalem and so from Miletus he ascends uh, to the elders And when they arrive, this is what he says to them. And as you'll have picked up, if you were listening as as the reading was read, in the middle of what he's saying to them, he says, you're never going to see my face again. I don't know exactly what's going to happen, but I'm really confident of this. You will never see me face to face again. It's a very poignant meeting. And at the end of it, in verses 36 to 37, 38, this extraordinarily emotional scene as Paul kneels down on the beach and they kneel with him and pray and they weep and they weep and they weep because they're so fond of him. They're so um, affectionate towards him and he to them. It's a very, very moving occasion. Now he describes these uh, men as elders in verse, or they're described as elders in verse 17 
And later, Paul calls them in verse 28, overseers and uh, shepherds or pastors, because the word pastor means a, a shepherd. And those words, along with one or two others, are used in the New Testament interchangeably of church leaders, elders, overseers, shepherds, or pastors. And um, the question I want to ask is, it's an interesting thing when you have a passage like this where Christ speaks through his apostle to elders, and most of you are not elders, you're just a normal Christian congregation gathering. Um, if you're, uh, This week I was preaching this passage in three um, sessions to a group of ministers. And in a sense, there's something quite straightforward about that. Because you say, well, Christ speaks this, what, these wonderful words through his apostle to church leaders, your church leaders, so listen and take heed. There's something rather straightforward about that. But most of us here are not church leaders. So the question is this, what are we supposed to make of a passage like this? Now, one thing is we know what to pray for our leaders. So you read through this passage, and I, I'm only going to focus on a small part of it, but you read through it and you think, I'm going to pray for John, our new minister. I'm going to pray for our elders that they will, um, by God's grace, be the kind of people described here. Uh, that's certainly one thing to do, but I want to, to do it, take a slightly different approach, and I want to ask the question, what can we, just as ordinary Christians, learn from this passage about ourselves? So the, the structure of the passage, I think, roughly is, is this. Paul begins in verses 18 through to 27. He talks about himself and his example. Not boasting, but he's just saying, you, you know the sort of life I lived among you and my example. He talks about himself. He does the same at the end from verse 32 or 33 to the end, he talks about himself. So he begins and ends by talking about his life and his example, his life among them. In between, there's a little section from 28 to 31 where he looks them in the eye and he gives them instruction. First, so verse 28, he says, keep watch. Verse 31, he says, be on your guard. And I want to focus on that little section mostly. Uh, this evening, because it would be too long. Um, you'd never get to bed tonight if I tried to open up the whole passage. So I'm going to focus mainly on, on that. And I want to, to try to fix in your minds and in your hearts two uh, really important things. And the first one is this. You and I are more vulnerable than we perhaps realize, and that's why we need pastors. We need shepherds. We're more vulnerable than we think. That's the first thing I want to, to say. So Paul says in verse 28, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock. And that word flock, a flock of sheep, he uses it again in the next verse in verse 29, and he uses the closely related word be shepherds, fixes uh, that the, the main picture in our minds here as the picture of shepherds with sheep. It's a very simple picture, uh, but it's a, it's, a, it's a picture that the people of God, the church of Christ, are like a flock of sheep. Now, in one sense, it's a very simple picture. If you have some familiarity with sheep, you'll know that they are errant. They're always straying. I remember a Welsh farmer we once used to know who 
who said that a sheep wakes up in the morning and thinks, how many ways can I find today to have an accident and hurt myself? <laughs> that was a farmer's comment about sheep and how stupid they are. They are stupid. And they're also very vulnerable. They're very low in the predator-prey food chain. If you have a sort of predator-prey top trumps and you have a sheep, it's going to be... It's going to be lower scoring on just about every possible score, speed of running, strength of fighting, everything really against just about any other animal in the game. They're vulnerable. So there's the picture. It's a very simple picture. It's a very unflattering picture. It's a picture that's used all through the Old Testament. Tremendous theme. You can find it in Jeremiah chapter 23 where the leaders of God's people are called shepherds. In Ezekiel 34, which we had a part of that read, um, the, God's lead, the leaders are called shepherds. Zechariah chapter 11 and a number of the Psalms use the same sort of imagery, God's people sheep and um, the leaders shepherds. The Lord Jesus says in Matthew 10, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. And elsewhere he says, don't be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. So the, the, the point I want to make is a very, very simple one, which is this. You and I are compared in the Bible to a flock of sheep. And if you're anything like me, you think, well, if I'd been writing the Bible, I would have picked something else. I mean, I would like to, I wouldn't mind being compared to perhaps a, a, a troop of horse. I mean, that would be good, wouldn't it? You know, we are God's horsemen and women, or horses, you know, that would be, that would have a certain dignity to it, or perhaps even a herd of buffalo, because they're strong, or maybe a pride of lions, that would do, that would do splendidly, instead of which the Bible says, no, you and I are like a flock of sheep, we are vulnerable, and we are errant, we're always going astray, and we're more vulnerable than we realize, and that's why we need shepherds. So you ask the question, well, how are we vulnerable? It's all very well to have this little word picture, but in what way are we vulnerable? What sort of harm might come to us? And I think we learn the answer to that by what the Apostle Paul says about what a church leader does. So just glance back for a moment to verse 20 and, and verse 21, where he says, you know, I haven't hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I've declared to both Jews and Greeks and so on. Those speaking words, preaching, teaching, opening something up so that we understand it, preaching it so it's pressed home to our hearts and consciences and wills, declaring publicly. And that gives us the clue in what way are we vulnerable? We're vulnerable because we live in a world surrounded by, or the, the, the air is full of words. And so many of the words that the air is full of, you and I read, skim, hear, countless words. And many of those words are lies. They're deceptive words. They tell us either there is no God or they tell us that the sort of God or gods that there might be in the world are not what the true God really is. Or they tell us that right and wrong is not what right and wrong really is. And in all sorts of ways, 
These lies endanger us. It's just worth thinking about this for a moment. Christians suffer persecution. I've just in the last week or two I've been corresponding with two friends, former students of mine, in Nigeria. One lives in Plateau State, where there was a huge uh, killing um, from from Islamic bandits recently, and um, 10,000 people are internally displaced. You won't get much of that from our media, but it's true. And another is, is in Zaria in northern Nigeria, his Christian minister, And just this week, his nephew and wife have been kidnapped by bandits, and a number of their church members have been kidnapped by bandits. Christians are persecuted physically all over the world. But here's the thing. No, Christians are not endangered by persecution. Christian people may be physically harmed by persecution, even killed, and it's a terrible thing. But the danger is not that we will be persecuted. The danger is that we will be lured or deceived away from the worship, the true worship of God. And therefore, I'm like a sheep in the sense that I'm easily deceived. I'm easily led astray because I begin to hear all these words that are in the, in the air around me and I begin to think this is the world that I live in and this is how the world is and this is how God is or God isn't. And all these things shape me. And what I need to protect me is a shepherd or pastor or minister or leader or elder to preach to me the true words of God. That's what Paul said he did. I I, I preached to you. I taught you. I declared to you. I told you the true things of the gospel of Christ. And that's what you need. And it's what I need. And I need it week by week by week. So that the true words that my pastors teach me and preach to me, those words sink into my um, heart. And it's, it's, you know, it's even worse than that, because if you look at, uh, on in verse 29, you'll see that, that Paul says, um, after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you, will not spare the flock. So it's a terrible picture of of, 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 of suffering. And then he says in verse 30, even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth. So it's not just that we need pastors, we need church leaders, we need elders who will preach and teach to us the truth so that we're protected from the lies all around us. And we need people who will do that faithfully and gently and kindly and lovingly, but truthfully, we need that. It's, it's that amongst church leaders, there will arise, and there always have arisen, people who will distort the truth. And you can't always trust every church leader. So in one sense, it's a slightly scary thought when you read verse 30. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth. And... You can look later at Psalm 55, where somebody's betrayed King David. Jesus himself, in John chapter 13, in the upper room, said to his 12 disciples, one of you is going to betray me. And Paul says something very similar, even from your own number, as he speaks to a group of elders, people are going to arise and distort the truth. So by the end of, uh, 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 of that stage, you're you're feeling quite scared and you're thinking, this is, this is really bad. Um, I, I, I need 
elders. I need pastors to protect me and preach to me the truth because I'm vulnerable. And that's really the first thing I want to to, to, to press home. We'll come to something which is better news in a moment. But if, if you think you're a lion or a horse or a buffalo, um, then you're in great danger because you're not. A sheep pretending to be a lion or a horse or a buffalo is not going to be very safe. And you and I need to begin by realizing I'm very vulnerable. I'm surrounded. There are words in the atmosphere that are coming into me all the time. And I'm picking up these words, and many of them are lies. They're saying to me, this is the way to live when it isn't. And this is the nature of God when it isn't. And that really endangers me much more than persecution will ever do. So let me begin by asking that question. Do you realize how vulnerable you are? And how vulnerable I am. How much we are like sheep. How much we need a pastor. A pastor is not uh, an optional extra in the life of a church. A pastor is not someone just to relieve the pressure on the staff team. A pastor is not just someone to get things done like a CEO or something like that. A pastor is a shepherd who guards the sheep by preaching and teaching the truth. And I just looked up on your website and I see on your website that it says among the regular tasks of the elders priority must always be given to the supervision of all aspects of the teaching and pastoral ministry of the church and that's absolutely right that's exactly how it ought to be now if I were to stop here you might very reasonably go away and say you know that's really depressing (laughs) It's really depressing. The preacher said we need to grasp that we're like sheep. We're errant, we're vulnerable, we're unprotected. We need pastors, but some of the pastors in churches are bad pastors. And you read through the Old Testament, you read through the New Testament, you find plenty of bad examples. So is there any good news? So here's my second thing. If the first is that we're vulnerable and we need Uh, shepherds or pastors. The second is this. We are more loved than we can imagine. And so God promises to give us the pastors that we will need. Just look again at verse 28, where the apostle says to these elders, these leaders, keep watch over yourselves because elders need to watch their own lives and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. God, if you ask how does someone become an overseer or pastor or elder, the answer will always be there was some human process behind it. In in the letter 1 Timothy chapter 4, it seems that a a normal process was for a, a council of elders, a group of elders, a presbytery to lay hands on them Um, and to commission them or ordain them or set them apart or whatever language you use. There's some human thing that happens, and I haven't checked, but I imagine something like that will happen with your new pastor. Um, He won't just suddenly appear. I imagine there'll be something will happen. Is that right? Yeah, the assistant pastor is, associate pastor is nodding, so I've, I've guessed correctly on that. Something will happen humanly. But verse 28 says the Holy Spirit 
is doing this. God the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, who is all-knowing, all-wise, all-love, all-powerful, ever-present, ever, present in every place, the Holy Spirit, in the love of God, makes pastors. And he does this because of his love. And you read on in verse 28, the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, so be shepherds of the church of God. So Paul goes beyond a locality like Cambridge. He goes beyond a particular name of a church like Eden. He goes beyond a type of church like Baptist. Whatever it is, he goes beyond all that. And he says, ultimately, the church is the church that belongs to God, which he bought with his own blood. And there's a slight question of exactly how you translate that. It's probably something like, which he bought with the blood of his own, meaning his own son, his very own. But however you translate it, what happened at the cross of Christ is that a man died who is God, and therefore there is a sense in which the price that was paid for God to buy, to obtain the church, was his own blood. You cannot imagine a higher price than that. You cannot imagine to be more greatly loved than that. The reason Jesus took the second person of the Godhead, the Son of God, took our nature in the incarnation was not that he might live a life. He had lived in all eternity with the Father and the Spirit in the, in the Godhead. He took our nature that he might be born in order that he might be a human being and die. He came in order to die, in order to purchase for God a people. And you and I, if we belong to Jesus, could not possibly be more loved than we are. I just want to try and press this home. You may have come to church this evening feeling anxious. You may have feeling a sense of disappointment in your life or a sense of failure or sadness. I imagine if we told our stories, there'd be all sorts of different stories would be told. But whoever you are, man, woman, child, if you belong to Jesus, you are more loved than you can ever imagine because God has bought you at the, with the highest price that you could possibly imagine, this strange expression with the blood of God or of the Son of God or God's Son, however you translate it, it's an extraordinary price that God has paid as a measure of his love. And he will keep you. This is why the Holy Spirit gives you pastors. Now, it's really important not to misunderstand what's going on. Even the worst pastor in the world cannot lose sheep that have been entrusted by the Father to the care of the Good Shepherd. Jesus promises to build his church. In John chapter 6, Jesus says, everyone whom the Father has given me, entrusted to me, I will raise him, I will raise her up on the last day, every single one, I won't lose one. And a bad pastor can't change that. If you belong to Jesus, you are absolutely safe because you are astonishingly loved. 
Now, there's a mystery here. We may take it, I think, that Judas Iscariot was appointed by the Holy Spirit to be an apostle. And the Holy Spirit seems in the mystery of God to, to appoint some as pastors who turn out to be traitors one way or another. And Jesus says about Judas Iscariot, the Son of Man will go just as it's written about him, going, going to, the, to the cross as he must, as the Scriptures say. But woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he'd not been born. So the force of this is a warning to pastors, don't be a treacherous pastor. And those of us to whom this is entrusted tremble when we read these warnings and we think, oh Lord, please make me faithful. Please keep me faithful. Please make me never to become one of those in verse 30 who distort the truth to draw away disciples after us. And we need to pray for our pastors that they will keep watch over us, teach us, exhort us, rebuke us with necessary, when necessary, encourage us to press on with Jesus. They should weep with us when we weep. They should rejoice with us when we rejoice. They have the privilege to comfort us with the gospel when we're grieving, to cheer us with the gospel when we're downcast, to warn us with the gospel when we're careless to call us to repentance when sinning. All these things God gives us pastors to do for us, and we pray that they will. It's not an easy thing to do. When I was a local church pastor, I used to have, um, do you know what I mean by a card in, you know, paper? You heard of paper and pen? It was an old-fashioned thing where you had a physical box with bits of paper, and on that I would write the names of the people or couples or families in, in the church fellowship and use it to pray through from the beginning to end. And on the front, I wrote some words from the New Testament, from the letter to the, to Hebrews, to the Hebrews in chapter 13, which talks about those who are church leaders as those who will have to give an account. And I had those words written on the front of the box to remind me I had this God-given responsibility to pray for, to care for, to preach to, to teach, to, 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 to warn, to do all these things as a minister of the gospel. It's an extraordinary privilege, but it's also a very great responsibility. And I, I just want to try, I'm not sure I've got this quite clear, but I think this is the thing. If you belong to Jesus... Jesus promises to raise you up on the last day. And if you've suffered from, or you know others who've suffered from bad church leadership, and there's some terrible examples all through Christian history of bad church leadership, abusive church leadership, and it's a terrible, ugly, dark thing. But whatever kind of church leadership you have experienced or will experience... Jesus promises, I will be your shepherd, I will be your pastor. And you get this in the New Testament in John chapter 10, most famously, he says, in a context where there's some really bad shepherds, the Pharisees, really bad. And you read John chapter 9 and you see an example of how bad they are. And Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd, I'm the good pastor, I'm the good minister, I'm the good elder I'm the good leader and elsewhere in the letter to the Hebrews he's called the great shepherd in 1 Peter 5 he's called the chief shepherd Jesus is the pastor of the sheep supremely 
And in Peter's first letter, he says that, that those whom we call pastors are under pastors, under shepherds, under the Lord Jesus. And so I want to both be realistic and, 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 and sobering about the dangers that we're under, we're vulnerable. But above all, I want to press home to you and to my own heart how loved you are. God has bought you with the blood of his own. And God will not lose a man, woman, or child whom he has bought with the blood of his own. And the Holy Spirit appoints shepherds, pastors, elders to teach, to preach, to care for you and to care for me. And he will make sure that we are cared for. And even the worst church leadership cannot change the purpose of God. We ought to pray that our leaders pray for your new, your incoming minister, pray for your existing elders, pray for church leaders in any church you belong to in the future. Pray for them that they will be faithful pastors, faithful shepherds, faithful overseers. Pray that for them. But do not be fearful. Don't be fearful. Don't think, if I join a church and it turns out that the leader is unfaithful, I've belonged to a church where it turned out later that the church leader had been a dishonorable man. And it's a terrible thing and it's a sad thing. It's a disillusioning thing. But it doesn't endanger my salvation. It doesn't remove the fact that God has loved me with the blood, or purchased me with the blood of his own. So I want to leave you with that thought. If you remember nothing else from this slightly rambling sermon, just remember this. Yes, we're vulnerable. Yes, we need pastors. But above all, we are loved. That God has purchased, obtained, bought us with the blood of his own. And he will keep you. And he will keep me because he is very strong. And the outworking of his love is absolute faithfulness. On the last day, the Lord Jesus will raise you up if you belong to Jesus. You may be absolutely confident of that. So I hope and pray that might be some encouragement to you. Let's um, bow our heads and I'll say a short prayer. God, our Father, we thank you for the Holy Spirit who has appointed overseers. But we thank you above all for the Lord Jesus, your Son, our Savior, the great chief good shepherd of the sheep. And we entrust ourselves afresh to his care and keeping. We pray that through his pastoring of us, we might be guarded from the lies that surround us, and that we might be built up in truth. And we ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen.